It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million, and this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So this is also just a reminder that if you've been enjoying what we're doing and you want to support us more, you can come join us on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Name Three Songs. We have bonus episodes episodes, Discord, other fun stuff. Or if you just want to make a one-time donation to the cause, you can also do that at paypal.me slash name three songs. Or don't. We appreciate you either way. So today we have a super jam-packed episode. As you know, it's all about Taylor Swift. Her career is like 15 years long, so there's no way we can fit absolutely everything into this episode. So we're giving you two episodes. That's right. Next week, we are back with a fan take because we are so excited to hear the fan perspective on all this. But with that being said, we hop around her timeline a bit, focusing on several main events that really defined her career. And how the media handled it how the general public handled it how like some men handled it you know way too many egregious men in this story so many so without further ado what are we talking about today sarah today we're talking about why the media wants taylor swift to be a controversial figure so badly there's so much to unpack there's so much to unpack and it's like this really weird situation where nobody's really at fault when you really think about it in the long run like the media definitely has like fucked up in a lot of ways when they talk about taylor swift but i think that she's also played a hand in it but i think that that's a lot to do with like celebrity and tabloid culture and like when there sometimes is like symbiosis between them Yeah, I mean, symbiosis is a great word because two things came to mind when we were doing research for this, which first off is the thing of like the media and celebrities need each other to survive, even though they're often at war. And they reminded me of when Meghan Markle and Harry like did their Oprah interview and they were talking about like the sun headlines and like the Daily Mail. And you were explaining, actually, maybe this is a good chance. Why don't you explain why those publications can get away with slandering the crown all the time? Oh, I would love to. So basically, a lot of these companies are owned by conglomerates with a shit ton of money, especially in England, which is where like the Daily Mail and the Sun are based. The libel laws are so much stronger than they are here, which is wild. Like it's so crazy the amount of things that from the jobs that I've had that we've had to send a legal that I never ever would have thought that would have to be legal before we post them. And so there are certain stories that get nixed before the world even hears about them. Sometimes like rumors get out to people because journalists can't keep their mouths shut, but it's because certain publications are in the pocket of publicists or who, what have you. But the thing is, is that like a lot of these, especially the Daily Mail and the Sun, because they write such scandalous stuff, they have so much money towards their legal department that they can risk posting something libelous because they know most of the time nobody's going to come at them for it because any press is good press as long as it's not evil. But this is why like Megan and Harry, when they have sued, they've won because the publications lie. Like they make, they make stuff up or they post things, well, not make stuff up. I mean, they just believe one party over the other, which is what libel is, which is taking somebody's word for it and sort of just a false narrative, if you will. So they just, they risk it because it's worth it because they're just like, you know what, in the long run, people are going to pick and choose what they sue us over. And they're not like Taylor Swift isn't going to sue us about claiming that something's about Harry Styles when it's not. Whereas she might sue you over something else. Like that would be like if we, like if a news outlet specifically said after the Kanye West famous video came out that like 
Taylor Swift gave Kanye permission to like sculpt her body to like have it be perfect for the music video. Like that would be something that Taylor Swift teams would be like, we're going to spend the money to sue them because we know we're going to win because this is a lie. But like these publications have the money to lose, if that makes sense. That's crazy. It just blows my mind. I mean, I just remember in that the interview, they were talking about how the royal family will still have these like holiday balls or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them where they invite the journalists in and like host them for a night, which I thought is kind of crazy because I'm like, these are the same people who are like libeling you all the time. But that's kind of like an extreme example of essentially what we're going to be talking about today, which is the media versus the celebrities. And it, it it's so crazy that like one cannot exist without the other. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the insane thing. And I mean, that's a lot of it's when like record labels have parties where they invite journalists to or there's all of these things in every industry where somebody important or somebody who works with somebody who's important will have a party or an event or whatever to sort of like celebrate these people that they're like sort of on the same side of, but not really. Because I mean, outside of mainstream like the big journalism like outlets like there are like smaller websites and stuff who aren't necessarily who do sort of work more from the fan perspective than from the journalist perspective like their views are allowed to be more clouded by their love of an artist whereas like at Rolling Stone or what have you it's like Rob Sheffield like loves Taylor Swift but he's not gonna not ask Taylor Swift a hard question just because he loves her you know whereas like if somebody else who isn't working at Rolling Stone interviews Taylor Swift from like a smaller publication whatever like that's not gonna happen but like let's say it did their fandom might take over their ability to like ask hard-hitting questions or be like oh this was talked about in the media recently like how do you feel about that whatever you know it is just like a very weird relationship where you do need each other to survive and if you're good at your job like Taylor is like you know when to feed into things and when not to which I found really interesting yeah so I think when we get into this conversation you'll see like in our research it was kind of hard to decipher when someone is in the wrong whether it's Taylor or the media because they're both like butting heads equally and they both have their own like stances on things and I think in this discussion, it's important to discuss both sides to see like, is anyone in the right? Is anyone in the wrong? Or is everyone just doing the best they can possibly do at the time being? Yeah, and I feel like that's why we felt it's so important to next week have a fan take episode because you and I are very much like third party viewers of Taylor Swift. And so we're very comfortable being critical about the media and critical about Taylor because Jenna and I don't really have like that strong of feelings either way about Taylor and especially like I went from being like oh this <laughs> like this woman's a mess to being like oh like I see where this woman is coming from which is personal growth but like it's a lot easier for us to be critical and I feel like that's important to this conversation because there is so much stuff that I feel like it can be viewed as black and white when it's really all a very big gray area, I yeah. think. I also think Taylor is very, very smart and calculated. And I also mm-hmm. think somebody in her position doesn't get to her level of success unless you are smart and calculated. A hundred percent. And it's just this thing where like Taylor's career is basically 15 years old at this point. And that's crazy. <laughs> but I've said this before, but I'm just going to reiterate it. Every album except for Taylor's first has debuted at number one on the Billboard charts and her first album debuted at number five. So even from the beginning of her career, people were on board with this. Like people have been interested. This wasn't like a a struggling artist situation like Taylor has been sort of like prepared for fame in some way or another whether that is like the people around her protecting her which like I feel like in Miss Americana it became very clear that a lot of the way that Taylor has been presented to us was a lot of people just trying to protect her from the world and the media and it's just interesting that Taylor wasn't on most of the general public's radar until the 2009 VMAs incident yeah where even though Taylor has been like 
like doing like the Ellen show, like guesting on MTV shows, like doing all of this stuff since essentially her career started. But my first, like, I don't know what your first memory of being introduced to Taylor was, but my teardrops on my guitar. So my first memory was seeing a clip of Taylor on the Ellen show yelling about how Joe Jonas, well, not yelling, but like being angry about how Joe Jonas broke up with her in a 25 second phone call. And it was like this whole thing. And then I'm pretty sure that she parodied it on SNL or like called him out on SNL about it too. She did, yeah. And I want to say that there was like a commercial for a Barbie that like would call you and it was like a Joe Jonas breakup. (laughs) But like I might have made that up. I don't know. That's like a memory that I have. It might be false. (laughs) Wait, so you don't, like you didn't know her music before that? I think I knew like my, our song is <laughs> like our song. Like I knew that, yeah. but I don't think I knew her music really before that because at that phase of life, all I was listening to was like whatever I was finding on MySpace. Yeah. So her, we said her debut album came out in 2006. Mm-hmm. I remember Teardrops on My Guitar. Like, I remember all those songs. I would have been 11. I remember like specifically being at like a middle school dance and I had just gotten my first like silver, I don't even know what brand, flip phone. And I was at this school dance and they were playing like one of the Taylor songs. That is my first memory of Taylor Swift. So I was, I was a little bit ahead of the game, Sarah. I was a little bit for you. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> But it is funny, though, that my first memory of her is her yelling about a boy, (laughs) because I feel like that was always my perspective was like, oh, there's Taylor again talking about an ex-boyfriend. But the thing that's so interesting to me is that she was just like a teenager who like probably wasn't that media trained. Just sort of like talking because like if you go back and watch how much Taylor had to change as a person from the beginning of her career to now is honestly kind of depressing. Well, to your point, I think that was probably the only time she like acknowledged one of her relationships or who her songs was about. And ever since then, her policy has been like, don't talk about it. Yeah, because like you just watch it and she's just like so bubbly and outgoing and so just like comfortable being open and honest about like what's going on. And then sort of from then forward, she kind of just becomes more stoic but like still bubbly still personable but like it's a very stark difference sort of watching those first sort of interviews to now but like just in between like up to now yeah I mean she definitely has like this shell on when she's like talking to the media which like makes sense that she has to have because of what's happened over her career like any anyone who is that famous has to have some sort of like guard up where they have to choose their words carefully around media Yeah, it's kind of sad (laughs) that Taylor had to like go through something where it sort of feels like after the VMAs that sort of made her feel like she needed to take a new stance and like need to be a stronger person in like so many ways in that like she needs okay number one like she already was in the limelight but now she's like thrown even more in it they're like shining a flashlight straight on her sort of thing yeah I mean so let's definitely get into the VMAs but I do want to mention one quote that I found earlier there's a 2019 article in the ringer called 10 years of Taylor Swift how the pop star went from sweetheart to snake and back again it talks about how like quote swift's appearances in the public eye continued to frequently involve a moment when she looked awestruck surprised and generally in need of a hug she was quote absolutely traumatized by justin bieber's punked episode her award show face became a meme she fell so easily into her groove as america's flabbergasted sweetheart that it started to irritate people so this was kind of just like a thing that happened she went on in 2010 deadspin published something literally called the haters guide to taylor swift so i mean like i think the kanye moment started like a series of events where like she became the butt of the joke and what i found in a lot of these articles is that like britney's gone we need someone we need another white woman we can dig our claws into and i think also at that time like Kanye's star was shining very bright so it was kind of like even though Kanye at the time was like the point wasn't that Taylor didn't deserve it I don't know her I'm sure she probably did but his point was like hey MTV's being racist yeah like Beyonce should have won this but instead they just give it to like the first white girl that's shown up again because Britney's gone sort of thing so also just just a refresher (laughs) in case we since we keep talking about the VMAs so in case you weren't 
weren't old enough to have watched it or like old enough to remember, which is more likely. So at the VMAs, Taylor won for like best music video, right? Was it best music video? It was best female video for You Belong With Me, which was uh, one against Beyonce's single ladies video. I don't think either of these videos are good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, neither of these videos are that exciting. But also I feel like 2009 wasn't a great year for music videos. It was was different then. You know what? I can't judge it with... (laughs) k-pop music video glasses but yeah so when taylor goes up to get this award she's handed her award she's handed the mic and then kanye gets up on stage and does he he like takes i'm gonna let you finish but he yeah. takes the mic he's like i'm gonna let you finish but like and then it was basically like beyonce deserved this award yeah so she's just like she but the, imagine she's so young then she's like 20 yeah She's at the very beginning of her career. She just won this award. Imagine if somebody came up on your stage and did that to you, you'd be like stunned, like deer in the headlights, like not know what to say. I mean, that would be my reaction at least. Well, yeah, I mean, it is it is shocking, number one. Number two, like they don't know each other. So she's like, why is this man coming for me? But also, as I already said, Kanye's star was shining so bright. And to have Kanye West come up on stage and essentially say that you're not worthy of an award that you've just won when you're 20 and you're getting ignored knowledge by like these huge name brands or whatever like that's gonna be really jarring and really shocking and so her response to it I think was warranted of feeling like she was being like bullied and sort of attacked and felt like he was coming for her even though he says that he wasn't I feel like events that would happen post VMAs make Kanye seem like no he was aiming at Taylor to be fair Obama called him a jackass about the incident so (laughs) love Obama dialing in (laughs) so Along with this, we found an article called How Taylor Swift Played the Victim for a Decade and Made Her Entire Career by a journalist named Ellie Woodward in BuzzFeed from 2017. This is an absolutely scathing piece that we're going to continue to refer to throughout this conversation because there are a lot of interesting points made. But the one about the VMAs is that, quote, the fallout for West was immediate. Swift, on the other hand, was able to capitalize on the stereotype of the angry black man, an archetype that has been described as a figment of white imagination, used to incarcerate and oppress black men. For Swift, it was PR gold. It's this thing where it's like, I don't understand why so many people place taylor swift as like the antagonist this villain where it's like taylor isn't the one being like kanye was being an angry black man the media and the general public are like kanye was being an angry black man and it's like yes taylor did in a way sort of lean into what the media was putting out there but they like didn't let her not Like, it was always asked about, like, what was that like with Kanye? Like, are things okay with Kanye now? Like, Kanye was always part of her narrative, which was not one that she wanted to be a part of. The interesting thing is that this Taylor-Kanye feud, narrative, entertainment, whatever you want to call it, has been going on literally until 2020. Since then, there's always been periodically updates on what's going on. So... As Taylor grew in her career around 2014, when she was doing like the 1989 album cycle, she became friends with a lot more celebrity types. And Jay-Z was one of the people she was acquaintances with. And there's a Vanity Fair interview with her that came out in 2015 titled Taylor Swift, Apple Crusader, hashtag Girl Squad Captain, and the most influential 25-year-old in America, which talks about this relationship um, dynamic between her and Kanye. And she mentions that like, they had become friendly with each other they'd become more acquainted this article points out you know that they had become friendly with each other they were seen chatting at the billboard awards and in 2015 taylor presented kanye with the video vanguard award at the vmas once again so everything comes full circle and you think things are going great and then in 2016 is when kanye releases his song famous he says i feel like me and taylor might still have sex why i made that bitch famous i made that bitch famous and then Taylor's like, what the heck? This isn't cool. And Kanye's like, actually, you okayed this. And then there's this video that Kim Kardashian posts where, number one, Taylor didn't know she was being recorded. Number two, the video's edited, which we come to find out later on. But basically, the video's like him running the line by her and her being like, yeah, it's totally cool. And Taylor's like, yeah, I said that, but I didn't say the that bitch part, which was like what she was focusing on. And then 
is when everyone attacked her calling her a snake when this is really when like things got pivotal for her career of like she went silent after that the thing that i don't understand is that if she didn't know about the bitch part but knew about the sex part i feel like the sex part would make me more uncomfortable than him saying i made that bitch famous i don't know but that's just me but um like the thing is is that all of this sort of spun the narrative that like Taylor was like in on it and was trying to, and, and it was going to be like, Oh, look, like we've been friends this whole time. Like I approve this, like, it's cool. We're good. And then when everybody was like, this is misogynistic, it like spun the narrative that once when everybody was saying like, Oh, like this is misogynistic. This is sexist. This is problematic. That Taylor then was like, actually, I don't, I'm not okay with this. And so it was as if Taylor was acting like the victim when quote unquote secretly, she like knew what was going on when that wasn't the case at all, because he didn't tell her the extent of the lyrics that he was writing. And so it's this weird thing where there's so many times in the narrative of Taylor Swift that she has been referred to as somebody who plays the victim and all that, like somebody who sort of like uses the press like against other people and all those sorts of things that are very kind of like as I said villainistic like antagonistic those sorts of things when like that's not really what's happening it's just that people are picking the parts of the narrative that they think work best for what they think Taylor Swift is rather than just paying attention to the whole picture and seeing that she's neither like the good guy or the bad guy in any of these situations she's just kind of like a smart person in the pr game i mean my point with like bringing up all this kanye stuff is like this essentially the vma set the tone for her career for her either feeling like the victim actually being the victim or people just like making her out to be a victim like a weird combination of all of them or making her out to be a target rather and this kanye thing coming around just was weird and honestly unnecessary and then in march 2020 we get a full leaked video of what actually the conversation was and it turns out yeah kanye didn't tell her about the that bitch part of the line so all along taylor swift was right but because she had already made out to be the bad guy i think 2016 was the year when 2016 17 was the year when she just like went silent and like disappeared off the internet for the full year and then we get reputation I remember at work that we reported on Famous. We had to take all these screen grabs of like the fake naked bodies all in bed with Kanye, whatever. And Taylor Swift was kind of like nowhere. And then like a couple months later, the video for Look What You Made Me Do came out. And that was crazy. Like all hands on deck. Just an insane situation because everybody was kind of like, I don't think any, nobody was expecting it. Nobody knew what was going on. It sampled right said Fred's I'm sexy and I know it. And there was all this imagery of like snakes and old versions of Taylor and so much imagery and just so much going on. And the media were like, oh, look at Taylor being like, look at me, I'm a snake. When Taylor's like, oh, look at the media, look at them being snakes. And it's just like this constant, it's like Taylor Swift is playing a constant game of telephone with like her one friend who works at Us Weekly and she like always misses. <laughs> like obviously that's not what really is happening, but like this is what feels like it's happening is that like Taylor has like one journalist friend and she like calls her journalist friend through a tin can and it's like, here's what's happening. And then her journalist friend picks up every third word and is like, okay, got it, Taylor. Thanks. and then like this weird narrative comes out of nowhere that makes no sense because even as not a taylor fan you can watch this video and be like okay (laughs) she's calling us out (laughs) yeah reputation was very much a call out album about everything that had happened to her yeah and i just feel like so many people especially in like the line of work that i was in which was very like entertainment slash gossip news they just want to be oblivious to it they don't want to acknowledge that they're the problem when they are the problem 
because even though like music journalism has not always been completely on Taylor's side like they do sort of like acknowledge that she's talented and like talk to her like she's a smart woman whereas I feel like other outlets kind of do that thing where it's like can Taylor possibly be writing her songs yeah it's like we're over that It's just crazy that a young girl starts her career writing songs about what she knows, which is like heartbreak in a small town, and it works for her. So then she goes to Hollywood, meets some bigger name men, and then they hurt her. And then she writes songs about being hurt by them. And that works for her. And she talks about it because she's a small town girl excited to be on the Ellen show or whatever. And so she talks about like what her songs are about. And then she's thrown like 300 miles an hour into into mainstream media rather than like having that like slow climb that she was having. True. Because of this Kanye moment. And then all of a sudden this equation that she had built was that was like always equaling out to being successful all of a sudden starts being scrutinized because they're like oh like look at this dumb girl who is writing about all of her breakups and writing about how she was bullied in high school and then writing about how she's bullied in (laughs) in Hollywood and they're all kind of just like picking her apart for just writing about what she knows experiencing yeah what she's experiencing and it's like number one this girl grew up in Nashville so country music is just writing what you know writing what you live but because she looks how she looks and acts how she acts she gets to be country pop which means that she's in the mainstream charts instead of just country charts and so people aren't taking into account that like oh she grew up on country music this is what country music is is just like telling a story about your real life and then she like felt like she needed to be more coded about things and so then she is coded about things but then she also is like PR trained so then she's out here being like well if this is what the media wants and this is what they like and it's worked for me I'm going to continue to like talk about this stuff but like in a way where my fans know what's happening but the media maybe doesn't know what's happening but then the media is also like look at Taylor always having a new A-lister on her arm always writing about what this A-lister did to her and it's just like she can never win yeah so this brought up like a few things to my mind first off Taylor's songs are very much a personal diary and like she's admitted that too and I think from an early age that's probably why she gets a lot of this scrutiny is like she writes about the knight in shining armor like white horse like stuff Mm -hmm. like that like it is very fantasy cinderella type music coming from a young teen girl and attracting young teen girls as it should and so that's like number one why it's easy to make her a target number two i think we oftentimes forget how young taylor was when all of this is happening because we like we've talked about like justin bieber and like billy eilish other people who are like young and in the spotlight but like taylor was just as young yeah but she never had like her quote unquote like mental breakdown that like we allowed justin to have publicly mm-hmm Well, I mean, women aren't allotted that. We can't have that. We need to be prim and proper and put together. And even though Taylor was prim and proper and put together, they still found reasons to drag her through the mud as if she is having benders and throwing up on the sidewalks. And I mean, I feel like that was so much apparent in her like what eight month relationship with Harry Styles. And I think that this is something that touches on a lot of stuff that we talked about in that like Harry was 19 when he was dating Taylor and from like the second One Direction left X Factor Harry Styles is viewed as this like womanizer just for like hanging out with women like dating like a teenager does and so he has this narrative of a womanizer Taylor has this narrative of like a cold-blooded man killer who like just dates men to write songs about them or whatever and the media just sort of ran with every possible thing that they could and Taylor decided to capitalize off it because why wouldn't you and so Jenna had mentioned this BuzzFeed article earlier written by Ellie Woodward and I mean as Jenna said like she's not super kind to Taylor but it is interesting reading 
her perspective on this because she quoted like a this Vanity Fair article that stated that Swift writes songs about the guys she dates and then sends fans on a scavenger hunt to find out who they are. And so throughout her like on again, off again relationship with Styles, which was reported on heavily, Taylor was utilizing her social media to sort of make fans be like, oh, is she writing about Harry? Like what's going on here? I don't know, Jenna, if you want to elaborate on this. Yeah, so after that came out in the Vanity Fair profile, one day after the breakup with Styles, Swift tweeted the words, Till you put me down. And these happen to be lyrics from her song, I Knew You Were Trouble. And Woodward goes on to say, it's a masterful attempt to link the narrative of the song to this breakup, suggesting that the song was about Styles assigning blame to him. Later that year, she was asked whether she was horrified to perform the song in front of Styles. She said, well, it's not hard to access that emotion when the person the song is directed at is standing by the side of the stage watching. But... Woodward points out that the timeline of their relationship doesn't allow for the lyrics to have been written about him. Swift revealed that the idea of the song came to her six months before her scheduled writing sessions around January 2012, which was at least three months before she'd even met Styles. So essentially, she takes a narrative of people guessing that I Knew Your Trouble was about Harry Styles and just runs with it, which honestly is an insanely smart move because... Quote, by manipulating the timeline, Swift was able to present herself as a victim of the actions of her perceived philanderer, creating the sort of narrative that would help sell records. In an apparent bid to link the heartbreak inflicted by Styles to the next phase of her recording career, she tweeted just days after the split, back in the studio, dot dot dot, uh-oh. The tweet enabled Swift to push the narrative of the breakup beyond the logical endpoint of its news cycle. By suggesting she was going into the studio to write songs about styles, she created interest in an album two years before it even materialized. And she ensured it became a mainstay in the press when, throughout 1989's reign, she teased just enough information about the songs to imply they were about styles without ever actually confirming it. Honestly, I think all of this is brilliant. I think it's so smart. And I also think it's hilarious that my personal favorite Taylor Swift record was all about Harry Styles without me even knowing it. But that's super on brand. But no, I mean, this is what a smart person does. Like this is what a talented songwriter and a talented PR person essentially. Because that like, I feel like Taylor is, she's just so powerful and meaningful in everything that she does and I feel like that should be celebrated rather than hated on or acted as if like she's doing something wrong by doing this I don't think because this article is saying like oh she was playing the victim because Harry Styles was trouble and all this stuff like I don't think she was playing a victim in this album cycle I think that because Taylor has been labeled as somebody who plays the victim so often. It's just so easy to be like, oh, here, if I pick this apart enough, then I can make her seem like she was being the victim here too. And it's just kind of like a bullying tactic in a way, I think. And just another way to sort of like negate how smart Taylor is and be like oh she's like not doing this for anything other than publicity where it's like yes she is doing it for publicity but also Taylor has like a very strong and important connection with her fans and so she wants to give them something where like they feel like they're part of it and maybe she didn't want them to hate Jake Gyllenhaal (laughs) Like, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know enough about her or enough about these relationships to that extent to like know what's really going on there. Like, sometimes I'll come across a TikTok of somebody being like, Jake, how dare you? Or like whoever, you know, like picking a random ex and like hating them for whatever random reason. It's just this weird thing where it's like, she's just trying to be open in a way where she feels safe being open after sort of being hurt by being open to like the general public because the general public since she started off being like yeah I'm maybe I'm a little boy crazy like I know she didn't say those exact words but that was the vibe she was giving off of just like this girl who likes dating boys from Nashville but like who wouldn't like want to date like Joe Jonas if Joe Jonas shows up when you're like 18 in Hollywood for the first time you know yeah and instead of just like letting her be kind of like a teen having fun they're like oh look at Taylor she's dating boys and breaking their hearts to write songs about them and then it's like oh look at Taylor playing the victim acting like this boy broke her heart when we all know that like Taylor's MO is to date a boy and write songs about him 
So she was never going to win. So why not just do what she wants and like use it to her advantage? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yeah, I mean, this writer from the BuzzFeed article also points out that like Taylor makes this story so irresistible that it like keeps us wanting to come back for more and like find out what the next chapter is. But I think this is also a good segue into the fact that like Taylor Swift has addressed a lot of the sexism in the 2014 album cycle. And one of those interviews is when a 2014 interview with Time Magazine, she was asked whether it annoys her that people claim she doesn't write her own songs. And she says, and we all know it's a feminist issue. My friend Ed Sheeran, no one asks questions whether he writes everything. In the beginning, I like to think that we were all on the same playing field. And then it became pretty obvious to me that when you have people sort of questioning the validity of a female songwriter or making it seem like it's somehow unacceptable to write songs about your real emotions, that it somehow makes you irrational and over-emotional. Seeing that over the years changed my view. It's a little discouraging that females have to work so much harder to prove that they do their own things. And I mean, we've seen her in other interviews saying basically iterations of the same thing and i feel like that's another thing where people are like oh she's always being like well you don't make fun of ed sheeran you don't do this and it's like i just feel like people want any excuse to be mad about taylor about anything but also i feel like from 2014 onward as she's sort of acknowledging these things it's like she's having to take this step back that she hadn't taken before because she's realizing that there is all of this misogyny in the music industry and there are all of these issues and it's that's a thing that jenna and i say all the time it's it's like unlearning the like internalized misogyny that you have and just being aware of the misogyny that everybody has is like a constant lesson that you're learning and so that can also play a role looking back on the Kanye famous song thing where it's like at the time while talking to somebody who kind of intimidates you you're like oh yeah that's funny I'll be in on the joke and then you hear it and you see other people reacting and you're like oh shit maybe that was misogynistic so even if like yeah she didn't know that the bitch line but like even if she did know the sex line which also I think is heinous at the time she's like oh like this is just like what boys joke about but it's like you have sometimes it's hard to acknowledge when something is problematic or misogynistic so in a 2015 interview with Maxim they asked her about becoming more feminist as of lately and and she said, again, talking about the songwriting quote, like she actually acknowledged misogyny is ingrained from people from the time they are born. So, I mean, like we have to give her props for like realizing this and like trying to grow and be better because she had that one song. Yeah. So she had better than revenge, which we talked about in our misogyny and pop music episode, which she was like, oh, this girl stole my boyfriend when like a boy can't be stolen. But like later on in Taylor's timeline of growing as a woman, she was like, yeah, looking back on it, like it takes two to tango. Like it wasn't only her fault. So Taylor growing has been 
something that is really interesting and really amazing to watch happen. But in the, in the same light, like, because again, people just want to pick apart Taylor, which like, sometimes you have to, like, I can acknowledge and agree that I think that Taylor probably should have been a bit more outspoken about politics when a lot of people have been outspoken about politics, mm-hmm. especially after seeing that when she was outspoken about politics for this most recent election, there was a correlation of a jump of people registering to vote after Taylor Dorsett democratic nominee for her state so i just feel like she should acknowledge the power and voice that she has and i'm glad that she finally has but i feel like there have been certain things in her career that maybe she was a little bit late to the party (laughs) on i mean 2014 again we have bad blood which is a feud about a friendship allegedly about Katy perry and then we have like the taylor swift like girl squad which was also kind of a controversy because it was a lot of like really tall really thin people who looked like her and it wasn't very inclusive of people of other sizes shapes colors and backgrounds and so you know like even demi lovato called it out as far as like the size thing goes yeah i mean that was a whole weird thing i just remember when they were like all at a beach and she like dated tom hiddleston for like three seconds and like he was there wearing like an i I think everyone tried to forget that swift shirt like there's just like so many aspects that i have so many questions about that we'll never get answers to like why did she date connor kennedy when he was like 17 like that was fucking weird taylor's made some interesting life choices but yeah so i feel like sometimes she does take a leap forward and at the same time takes a step back and it's like no one will realize this but like with bad blood or with the i need to calm down video where she kind of turned it to 3000 with the like look i like gay people yeah. and i <laughs> was kind of like taylor nobody thought you didn't but now <laughs> i feel like maybe you don't <laughs> i'm like is this a hate crime <laughs> Like, what is happening? I mean, in response to that video, like, she said in interviews that she didn't realize that she hadn't made her stance clear about supporting the LGBT community and that somebody was, like, asking her opinion on it. And she was like, I can't... Because to her fans, I think her fans knew, but to the outsiders you would be unaware and so i think she was like oh i need to be like overly apparent like what's going on here because clearly i haven't been enough and so i mean like yeah that video it came out in 2019 so a lot of people would say like it came out too late but i mean like at the same time at least she's learning at least she's growing at least she's using her platform occasionally it was just that weird thing where it felt like somebody is like drunk aunt who like doesn't really know anything about pop culture, but like takes notes whenever their niece tells them about someone, gave her the Rolodex of like gay people on the internet. Yeah, and Taylor yeah. was like, cool, I'll choose every other one. <laughs> Cause it just felt like the weirdest jumble of like LGBTQ It felt very people. odd. It felt like, it felt like a corporate brand was like sponsoring in a pride parade, like a float for the, the New York City like pride parade and they were like who was like we know straights now like we know gay people (laughs) (laughs) it was so weird it was so weird so going back around to the politics thing for a minute so the main criticism there was she stayed silent during the 2016 election between hillary and trump which as we all know was a very crucial election so for her to stay silent everyone was kind of like what the actual fuck and about that she did an interview with vogue in 2019 called taylor swift on sexism scrutiny and standing up for herself and she says quote unfortunately in the 2016 election you had a political opponent who was weaponizing the idea of the celebrity endorsement. He was going around saying, I'm a man of the people, I'm for you, I care about you. And I just knew I wasn't going to help. As you know, the summer before that election, all the people were saying, she's calculated, she's manipulative, she's not what she seems, she's a snake, she's a liar. These are the same exact insults people were hurling at Hillary. Would I be an endorsement or would I be a liability? Look, snakes of a feather flock together. Look, the two lying women, two nasty women, literally millions of people were telling me to disappear. So I disappeared in many senses. I don't know. I don't know. When I read that, I was kind of just like, this feels like you just didn't like her. And so you didn't want to support her, which is fine. But also at this, like, I don't know. It just, it really felt like a cop out, like reading that Mm -hmm. of being like, oh, well, like people didn't like me. So whatever. It's like, but people did, but there were still people on your side. And you know that. Like the people who would have registered to vote 
would have still would have registered to vote. They wouldn't have been like, fuck you, Taylor. Like, it's more like the general public who might have been like, fuck you, Taylor. But even still, there was still backlash when Taylor came out this time about being a Democrat and being like, this is what I support. So it's like, she didn't have to be like, I support Hillary necessarily. She could have just as easily just come out and been like, oh, I'm supporting the Democratic Party this election because this is what my viewpoints are. And so it just feels like a very big cop out to be like, well, like people were using the same nasty words. Like it just felt like she wanted to not be bullied again, which is not, which is fine. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, okay, this is weird. Because she could have chosen to speak against Trump even if she didn't specifically want to endorse Hillary. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that would have been really powerful if she had done that. Off of that, like the white supremacists kind of co-opted her music. They were like, our Aryan queen. And she still didn't say anything to shut that down. Yeah. I Well, I think, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's like, it's that thing where it's like when you're silent, the assumption is that you're on the wrong side of history. Right, right. And so I think that that was like a lot of my personal issue with it as somebody who has always sort of taken Taylor with a grain of salt was just like, what what is happening here? So I guess it was just sort of like that viewpoint of her seeming to not want to have the opportunity to allow people to be mad at her again which I find interesting because her like first really big public move after all of that was she had a radio DJ sue her because Taylor complained that he touched her ass during an interview or like during a meet and greet post interview and he lost his job because of this and then he decided to sue Taylor Swift for reparations basically and so Taylor did something which I think is really powerful which is that she countersued him for a single dollar because she was like you sexually assaulted me you don't have a leg to stand on and so I feel like she did something that's really empowering for women and a really big step for the music industry and even if she like didn't have the like strength within her to like do politics she still had like this strength to do something that was so much bigger than herself in standing up for women in some way shape or form which i feel like is a pretty big deal so this court case was like quite interesting because after she won the court case she made a statement saying that i acknowledge the privilege that i benefit from in life in society and in my ability to shoulder the enormous cost of defending myself in a trial like this my hope is to help those whose voices should also be heard therefore i will be making a donation in the near future to multiple organizations that help sexual assault victims defend themselves and so essentially like if you think about sexual assault cases as minor as a man who's been in the music industry for 20 years grabbing your ass it's mm-hmm. like we put up on a lot with a lot of that type of shit on the daily and yeah. you can't say anything or if you do say you aren't taken seriously or like nothing is done about it or they tell you to get over it so like i honestly think it was a really big deal like this court case was a really big deal for her to do that because she was just trying to prove a point of saying no you did this to me you're in the wrong and like literally went to court had to sit there on trial and do this and there's like some quotes from here that are like really when asked for her reaction on learning what Mueller, who's a DJ, was fired, she said, I'm not going to allow you or your client to make me feel in any way that this is my fault because it isn't. I'm being blamed for the unfortunate events of his life that are a product of his decisions and not mine. So she had to do like a lot of like really intense, like defending herself, like sticking it to the man. And all of these quotes, she just seems so composed. Again, when Mueller's lawyer suggested that Swift should be critical of her bodyguard for failing to protect her from being groped, she said, quote, I'm critical of your client sticking his hand under my skirt and grabbing my ass. So number one, if you're taking a photo with somebody, what can the bodyguard do in that exact moment? Nothing. Number two, again, this is like the same rhetoric that goes around where it's like, oh, like what was she drinking? What was she wearing? Like, what did she do to have this happen to her? And it's like, this should be men first language, not women first language, because the man is the one doing something. The woman is having something done to her. It is not her fault. And Yeah. And so I just think that that's really powerful and important. And we've had episodes talking about the sexual misconduct issues in the music industry and the fact that Taylor has as much power behind her voice as she does and like was able to do this, I think is really important and impressive because it does set precedent in a lot of ways because if Taylor Swift did this, like it's saying a lot. 
Yeah, I think it was a really big deal. And because of that, she was then put on the cover of Time at the end of the year as one of the Silence Breakers. The Silence Breakers were a group of men and women, mostly women, who have stepped forward this year to speak out about the powerful men who committed acts of sexual violence against them, from the president to Harvey Weinstein and all points in between. And so there's like basically arguments for and against her being on the cover for, which is basically all the points we just already said, and against because it's like there are other more marginalized people who were speaking out mm -hmm. who probably could have used a more of a platform than taylor did and i kind of agree with that yeah. but i don't think it lessens the fact that she even acknowledged her privilege in being able to take this case to court yeah i agree that like i can see like why people would be like against it or whatever but again for women in the music industry the fact that taylor did this and won it's a really big deal so i think that it just like holds different weight to different people in that yeah. sense but i think that her winning that trial and her doing that and sort of feeling comfortable advocating for herself I think sort of led to what's going on right now in Taylor's life which is the situation with Scooter Braun so for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about so Scooter Braun is a music manager music mogul whatever you want to call him he discovered Justin Bieber he's worked with like Demi Lovato I'm pretty sure Ariana Grande he's worked with Kanye West he's worked with lots of people and so Scott Borchetta who was like the owner of Big Machine Records which Taylor was signed to and released her first six albums with Taylor went to go speak with them about the opportunity of buying back her music because she like finally had enough money to like buy the rights to her music instead of being given the opportunity to own her work she was offered the chance to quote unquote earn back e each album and in order to earn back each album she would have to make a new album on Big Machine so it would be like she released Lover and then she's given access to all of the songs from Speak Now and so on and so forth which Taylor did not want to do because then they're still like owning her music but so basically what happened was was that Taylor comes to terms with this and she's like okay I'll figure this out one way or another and go from there but like for now the past is in the past I'm moving forward this is the future but then in like late June of 2019 that Scooter Braun's Ithaca Holdings has acquired Big Machine Label Group and Taylor Swift wrote in a Tumblr post that she was not privy to this information until the whole world was privy to it. So Taylor was, claims that she was not sent like a courtesy text. She was not given any information otherwise. And so Taylor writes this whole Tumblr post basically saying things along the lines of, quote, all I could think about was the incessant manipulative bullying I've received at Scooter Braun's hands for years. Like the lead photo is like a video chat of Scooter with Kanye and another man calling Justin Bieber. And she claims that they were calling each other to make fun of Taylor after the Kanye phone call leaked. And then Taylor goes on to make other statements, including that essentially my musical legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it, saying also that this is her worst case scenario. This is what happens when you sign a deal at 15 to someone for whom the term, quote, loyalty is clearly just a contractual concept. And when that man says, quote, music has value, he means its value is beholden to men who have no part in creating it. And so Scott, who owns Big Machine Records, he's known Taylor since she was 15 so he knows Taylor's issues with Scooter Braun and Taylor wrote he knew what he was doing they both did controlling a woman who didn't want to be associated with them in perpetuity that means forever so it's a whole can of worms with that situation where it's a lot of like Taylor making claims that nobody really knows that much about but also at the same time I'm not a Taylor fan so I don't know what there is to be aware of. Britney Spanos for Rolling Stone wrote an article sort of outlining everything else that happened and there's lots and lots of like he said she said in this scenario which also includes that got from Big Machine made this whole thing about how he had actually texted Taylor like a week before the acquisition was made public and that he never heard from her and so another one of the issues is that like with Scooter and Scott having control over Taylor's music they can pick like what it's used for 
if it's used in commercials, if it's used in movies. And Taylor has no say in that. And as somebody who writes her own songs and who like all this is super important to her, like losing that power is horrifying. Yeah. I mean, it really just feels like a big middle finger to Taylor. Like I know fans were like heartbroken over this and I know she's like re-recording her stuff now. So I'm super curious because I guess she probably doesn't have control over what's listed on streaming platforms. But I was like wondering if like she releases the new Taylor versions and then like the old stuff will be taken down. But I don't, I think if if they own it, they they have control over whether or not that's taken down. So basically like it's the same thing that that JoJo did was that like JoJo, wasn't allowed to own her music and then when she came back to the world of music she re-recorded her old music in like a new way because you have to like change the songs to a certain degree in order for it not to be like copyright stricken so taylor's version and the version owned by scooter and scott will still be available so it's just up to fans to hopefully just listen to the taylor version and do what she wants them to do which i feel like she has the fan base who will do that but i I mean, there was just like lots of like Scooter Braun's wife came out and alleged that Taylor had passed on the opportunity to own her masters saying that like her dad is a shareholder in Big Machine. So like how wouldn't she have known? But her dad and them said that there was like an NDA sign. So her dad's not allowed to tell Taylor any information that goes on in Big Machine meetings because if they're not about Taylor, it's not Taylor's business, which... A lot of those sorts of companies have NDAs like that. Crazy. So it's just like a whole thing. But I think Taylor has learned a lot from it. And as I was saying before, like, I think that that $1 lawsuit really made Taylor be able to stand up for herself and for others because of that. (laughs) Because when Taylor signed to Universal Music Group, she made sure that there were parts in her contract that would be helpful not only to her but also to other artists so this is an article from rolling stone written by amy wang and she writes that in swift's deal it specifies that the hypothetical equity sale will result in payments to universal's artists regardless of their account status meaning they'll receive money even if they're in the red with the company for unrecovered advances so basically if umg decides to sell their stock in spotify Every artist that's been signed to them, irregardless of what's going on, will get money out of it, which is a pretty big and powerful move and a move that only somebody like Taylor Swift can pull off. True. Very true. So in the long run, even though Taylor has been like very hurt by what happened with Big Machine, like it sounds like she's really used it to her advantage to like revisit old music. Yeah. There's no blueprint for this. Like this is Taylor being the blueprint because this has never happened before. Which is pretty incredible because she's really making her mark and like setting a precedent for the future because Taylor has said in multiple interviews that she doesn't want what happened to her to happen to other people and that like she didn't really have anybody and it during a 2019 billboard like cover feature she was saying how like she'll have like 20 essentially kids up in her phone at a time sort of like coming to her for advice on things because she makes herself available to people who are up and coming because she doesn't want anybody going into the same sort of deals that she went into so like they don't feel powerless like she did i mean that in itself is a reoccurring theme we see in the industry is being young and not having industry smarts and being taken advantage of yeah it's crazy and it's just it's so interesting that over the past like three years that people can still have like caveats about taylor like still have issues with her to like such an extent to like still paint her as a villain still act like she's doing something wrong when i feel like she's really made it clear that she's trying to be a strong person have equality for other artists like be an actual feminist like care about these things that are going on and it's like yes it's a learning curve and yes there are things to critique as we have done but I just feel like Taylor Swift being the punching bag is like something that she's outgrown and like proved herself to not have to be. And yet even with like the release of Folklore and Evermore, which a lot of people finally were kind of like, oh, now it's time to take Taylor seriously. There were still like caveats to that being taken seriously which I just find really interesting because I feel like with every album you do see more people turning to Taylor's side but there's always somebody being like who does she think she is you know 
We're going to go more into detail on the response to folklore from fans and from the media when we do a part two next week, which is a fan take episode. But Pitchfork, who is like a notorious for being kind of harsh on everyone, they also kind of did that thing where they were like, oh, maybe this is good. Maybe this isn't. And I just I thought that it was quite interesting that they also were just kind of like, (laughs) I feel like everyone, even when Taylor does something that is exciting and new, because for the first time in Taylor's life, she wrote an album that's fiction. Like it's not based on her life. She just wrote something completely new from her brain. Like I listened to, she did an interview with Zane Lowe about this, like after Evermore came out. And she was basically saying that like, she was reaching this point in her life where, and like, I don't know exactly what she said because I didn't write it down, but she basically was saying along the lines of like, she reached this point in her life where she started to feel like uncomfortable sharing so much of her actual self and that she wasn't sure if she was going to be able like what she was going to do with her music. And then she was given this opportunity because of the pandemic, essentially, to write something from a different perspective. And I just thought that that was really interesting. But Yeah, so she did something different. She did something interesting. You can sort of, in a way, view this as like a different project because of that. And yet it still felt like somebody like Pitchfork, based off this review, was still kind of like, Taylor might go and do something we don't like next. So like, we can't be too nice to her. Um, We can't totally trust her yet. She hasn't earned it. (laughs) And so this review was written by Jillian Mapes. And (laughs) what she basically was saying how there are those who already dislike folklore on principle, who assume it's another calculated attempt on Slope's part to position her career as just so, in parentheses, how dare she. Meanwhile, fans will hold it up as tangible proof that their leader can do just about anything, parentheses, also a stretch. She goes on to talk about how like her biggest strength is storytelling. And so she does that in this album. But then towards the end of this, she goes, the theme of folklore is a very different way of acknowledging that people will talk. An idea that animated to 2017's trap-tinged work of minor villainy reputation, which I think is interesting. I just feel like there's always going to be that narrative of like Taylor's doing something wild when like maybe she's not. I think that's a good point. I don't think any of her albums have been too extraordinarily out there. Like she's just doing what she does best. And like, I don't know, it's just that frustrating thing, which like we barely even really touched on is just that like, men do everything Taylor Swift does. And nobody talks about like nobody complains about it. Nobody is mad about it. And when Taylor Swift calls it out, people are always like, why? Why is she calling this out? Whatever. Like, because they just want to pick apart Taylor. It's that thing, and I think it was Pitchfork, like they reviewed Ryan Adams' cover of 1989, but they didn't review Taylor's actual 1989. Yeah. 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 I mean, that pretty much sums it up. (laughs) In conclusion. Yeah, and I mean, that was really frustrating because as I've said, like 1989 really made me realize what Taylor was doing and the fact that like a man covered it and people were like, wow, what artistic imagery. How amazing. You can't deny that she's a good songwriter. Like yeah. she is like she is a good songwriter, period. Period. Like no matter what she does, no matter whether it's a genre that you like or not, she's a good songwriter. And it's just unfortunate that it takes her jumping to a genre that's considered more manly for it to be taken seriously. Yeah. It's really frustrating and just exhausting that like people have decided that she is a specific type of person and therefore are like, I can't like anything about her because of that and so they pick apart her music and they pick apart her personality and they pick apart how she dresses and they pick apart everything and it's like what are you gaining from that yeah i think that's like the question we've come back to occasionally on this podcast is it's like even this like scathing decade i'm the victim article in buzzfeed it's like what what is the point of this narrative like honestly those types of things just contribute to more of the hate and like yeah there are good times to call people out and i I don't know i thought it also posed like a really lot of interesting points but to what extent i mean to to how many of those do we need how much hate how much more vitriol do we need out there yeah because i i agree like that buzzfeed article was very interesting but at the same time it's like where is your thesis on every other person who's done something questionable multiple times you know like i just feel like nobody is studied to that degree as 
Taylor, like to the same degree that Taylor Swift is, you know? Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, she's also a really fascinating character because of how smart she is because of all the moves, which are not only just Easter eggs for fans, also like the PR moves of how she markets her albums, how she markets everything. Yeah. I think all all of it overall, everything is just very, very fascinating. And it's one of those things where like when we talk about something so in depth, it makes me like feel very fortunate or like grateful to be at a, alive at a time when this is happening and like experience it firsthand. Yeah as cheesy as that is to say. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, you made a good point. Like, I think that she's definitely worthy of studying, <laughs> if you will. But I think at the, at the same time, it feels to an extent that a lot of these long reads about Taylor Swift are just bullying for the sake of bullying sometimes. Like yeah. deciding that something is problematic when it's not. But I guess we'll pass this off to you guys. <laughs> Um, we're going to discuss this more next week. So you have way more Taylor coming your way with some fan perspective, which I think will help Jenna and I sort of wrap our heads around a lot of things that we talked about today. And if you have thoughts on this, you want to share, come slide in our DMs. <laughs> we're always available. So slide in our DMs with your thoughts and feelings on Taylor because we want to hear them because I feel like we genuinely can talk about this for ages because it is really interesting. So we are at Name Three Songs on all social media. You can come talk to us personally. I'm at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. If you want even more access to us or if you just want to donate to the cause, you can do so at patreon.com slash name three songs or paypal.me slash name three songs. So thank you for joining us on name three songs until next time. Never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember you're never too cool to listen to Taylor Swift. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit name three songs.com. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to make a new file. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.